paper towels or hand dryers? We're not quite sure. It depends on a lot of things, but think about it for yourself and like do the best that you can. And if you don't know everything, it doesn't mean that you don't do anything. There's always some choice that's slightly better than others when it comes to the environment. It's kind of uncomfortable to a lot of people if you don't know every answer and it seems a little bit unsure, but we all have the ability to like reason through our choices and and just choose one that's that we think is a little better. Hi, this is Joshua Spodek, and this is Leadership in the Environment. You're not the only one who cares about your impact enough to act. You're part of a global community undeterred by people saying, if others don't change first, then what I do doesn't matter, and other excuses. We've read the science. We can do this. This show is about personal responsibility, acting, and improving your life by your values. As guest after guest says, the challenge was hard, but thank you for getting me to do it. I wish I'd done it earlier. Listen on for leaders to inspire you, hear their struggles, and then act. Go to joshuaspodick.com slash podcast to commit to a public, personal challenge of your own. You're not alone, and you don't have to wait for others. Today, I bring you Anissa Hemming. You know, many people, maybe including you, see working on the environment, I think, as a distraction from the rest of life. They want to get ahead. They want to do things in life. And if they have to work on the environment, it's something that distracts them from getting ahead. I think they tend to think of leadership as coming from rising through the ranks. They get promoted and promoted, promoted, and eventually they become a leader. In my view, that path may get authority, but that doesn't necessarily get you leadership. Authority and leadership, I often contrast against each other. They often go together, but not necessarily. That path often trains compliance. I call it the rat race. Anissa is another example of someone who developed and emerged as a leader by doing what she cared about, including environmentally, even when she might not have seen it as specifically advancing her career in the rat race. As a result, when disaster struck, in her case, the recent hurricanes in Florida and Texas, her career brought her to help people on the ground in something that she cared about, something meaningful to her, not just working behind a desk. And what are we here for if not to help other people. As happens with many cases of people who take leadership roles in areas that other people are neglecting, and I think the environment is one of these areas. Globally, people care about the environment. It advanced her career as well, as we'll hear. It's funny because there's all this professional talk, but she's actually a very friendly person. And all this comes out as her, as someone who cares about, well, enough talk about her. Let's listen to Anissa and let's take it away. Hello, and welcome to the Leadership and the Environment podcast. This is Josh. I'm here with Anissa Henning. Anissa, how are you? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm great. And do you do a lot of different things that are all touch on leadership in different ways? You have a degree in architecture. You work in education. You also work in policy in government in D.C. You do a lot of different things. (laughs) Yeah. Can you tell us about the, the Center for Green Schools is where you work. And can you tell us what it does and what you do there? Sure. Yeah. So the Center for Green Schools is part of an organization called the U.S. Green Building Council. And so we kind of grow out of the architecture and building industry. But the Center for Green Schools was founded because we knew that if we were going to address how 
our schools are addressing sustainability. It required few more strategies than what we use in the commercial sector and other building sectors because schools are all about learning. So we have to include, you know, education and and um, educating both students and, and the people who are working with those students to make sure that we've got, you know, the information about sustainability out to the next generation. So the reason I'm asking is that with all these different things, now with a degree in architecture, you could easily say, look, I'm just going to build buildings. Worrying about this green stuff is like, that's, you know, someone else can worry about that. You know, I got clients that want a building made. And I think a lot of people say, you know, I'm living a life and I got to do what's important for me. And this environmental stuff is like, that's later or someone else can worry about that. How did you make the switch? Was it natural? Was it inevitable? Was it hard? Yeah. You know, it was kind of, Gradual and a little bit unexpected. I, I was in graduate school and I worked at architecture firms and I was sort of thinking, I don't know if the architecture profession is really the right fit for me, that the type of work every day, I really enjoy working directly with people and the people that uh, my work and my, you know, the stuff I do every day is, is impacting. And that's a little hard sometimes in architecture, especially when you're starting out because um, you're kind of far away from the clients and the end user. And so I actually looked for a lot of ways to make that make a leap into some something where I could use architecture to actually make specific and like real difference in people's lives. So I actually <laughs> applied to the Peace Corps uh-huh. like you do if you don't quite know what you want to do after graduate school. <laughs> I ended up not doing that, but I I did um, also apply to this job in New Orleans to work with the schools and with the school district. The U.S. Green Building Council was hiring this position after Hurricane Katrina to help with the rebuilding of the schools. And specifically, the school district had committed to building those schools in a green way. And so I was on the ground there for two years doing that. And I would say, you know, I really wanted to make a difference with architecture, but the environmental side of that actually didn't really come at me as strongly until I was on the ground in New Orleans and and I started seeing the real connections between human health and climate change and um, environmental like action. And those were so clear and so obvious in that work that I think that's really when I became committed. So I sort of committed to the job and then later became more committed through that work. I really hope people are making the connections that I'm making in what you're saying. So many people look at environmental stuff as disconnected from what they do and a distraction. And if I hear you right, and tell me if I'm overstating it or just looking, I I hope not to look for what I want to find, but Mm -hmm. you wanted to make a difference. You wanted to work with people. And -hmm. when you started working, you found that it was more relevant than you had ever imagined and it all came through acting first. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's absolutely true for my life. And I think, you know, I can imagine a lot of people have had that experience. Oh, man, I think a lot of people think it's not worth it to try because it's too far removed and it's not going to make a difference. It's like the opposite. Yeah. I think a lot of people think what I do is not going to make a difference. I'm not going to get to work with people and it's abstract as opposed to here and now, which is the opposite of, of what your case has been. And I'm reading, correct me if I'm wrong, you love what you do. I love what I do. Yeah, I love what I do. And I think like the harder I try 
at it, the more I'm able to see an impact, which is more motivating and <laughs> leads me to further work because it it's not that obvious when you start out because it does feel like you're doing such a small piece of the puzzle. And I certainly felt like that going to New Orleans after Katrina. I mean, there was so much to do and it was so easy to feel like a tiny little piece of that. But then I visited schools and I, I was able to get this EPA grant to hire an indoor air quality manager for the schools. And I toured the schools with her and I started seeing, you know, the connections between like the energy systems in the building and the energy used there and, and that impact on the environment and then how that impacted the health of the schools and the school environment. Those were, you know, direct links that I was seeing. And I thought, oh, my gosh, my the work that I'm doing actually has an impact on that. Can you tell that story? Because what I heard was that you started with just a piece of something and then you emerged as a leader and, and not just like a side thing. And I think that, I mean, people who are listening to the podcast called Leadership in the Environment podcast, I presume, want to take some leadership role. And I feel like there's tons of leadership stuff there, but people don't see it at the beginning. Can you walk through the story of how you went from being an outsider, having a small little piece to a leader that did that lead? Is that what led to having the role in D.C.? Yeah, a little bit of a long road, like any like any of the stories are. I it was it's sort of a story of the, those two years in New Orleans, sort of growing my own knowledge and commitment through the work and through doing it every day and through listening to people, meeting students, meeting teachers and school administrators, um, just listening really deeply in that work, making sure that, you know, what I was doing or trying to make sure that what I was doing, you know, was helpful and had real impact on the students in those schools and on the school sustainability in itself. So that work, just a really focused effort on learning about what was needed and learning about what that city and its students really needed for the future. And then, you know, the, that commitment and that learning process grew my own expertise in green schools. And so that position in New Orleans was always meant to be a temporary position. And after the two years, you know, toward the end of the two years, USGBC asked if I would move to D.C. and bring that expertise to other school districts around the country. So the role that I had when I moved to D.C. was pretty much to spread that knowledge that I had gained in New Orleans to other school districts. And I'm lucky that I was given the opportunity to do that because um, it's really interesting and fun and fulfilling work. And we grew this network of, a, of you know, around 120 school district sustainability staff, many of whom didn't exist when I was doing the work in New Orleans. And so that job class has grown up through the work of that I did, but also the work that uh, many others were doing around the country to kind of lift up this idea that sustainability in schools is, is really foundational. I like how you describe yourself as lucky to have gone into like the belly of like a really difficult location, a really difficult time. <laughs> you put in the time for something that's temporary that probably other people were like nervous about doing. You emerge as a leader. And I think you're saying, because you love what you do, you're, you feel lucky, but I feel like you put in the time and effort. 
Yeah. Yeah. I just, you know, I feel like some, sometimes people put in the time and effort and really grow their expertise and it's hard to find the place to direct that expertise. So that, I guess that's why I feel lucky that that opening was given to me to actually use what I had learned in that experience and use that, become a leader in the green schools world. So you say lucky. I mean, to me, (laughs) I think that like one of the questions I wanted to ask you, and this is purely speculative, is is say someone's in some other field that's as equally distant from their perspective as probably a lot of people would think architecture would be from doing something environmental related. Mm -hmm. What are the odds of them, of them, they go in to start seeing like how they can do something connecting what they're doing with the environment. I think that it touches on everything because it's like the water that we drink, the air that we breathe, that it's going to touch on everything. So if you, if the connection isn't there and you make that connection, I think you're going to emerge as a leader Mm -hmm. and it might not be in the most obvious way. And it might take longer for some people. What do you think? Cause like I've started podcasting leadership in the environment. I don't see the people doing it. And when I first started doing it, I, I put a page on my blog of like leadership in the environment and I searched and it ended up like first or second in mm-hmm. an online search. And I was like, wow, suddenly I'm the leader in leadership in the environment. I think that it's much more likely than you are saying. But now I'm curious, maybe I'm missing something. You're in the thick of it, too. Yeah. I mean, I think it's there's a couple of questions linked into one to one there. You know, I started working for an organization that was focused on the environment. And so my connection, you know, making the connection between the environment and leadership and and leadership in schools was one that, you know, was was sort of a clear connection for me to make just because of the organization that I was, you know, working in. But I've, I've seen school leaders and watched school leaders, school district and school leaders who are making this connection that sustainability is like central to what their students need to know going into the world. Mm -hmm. And they are leaders in their field, like not just on environment, but in, in other ways, they're, you know, asked to speak at superintendent conferences and they're held up as models of excellence in many things. And those are the ones who typically are really getting it with sustainability. So I think there is a connection between those who are rising to the top in leadership, like writ large, and those who are recognizing the place that sustainability has in our lives. I have to say, I think this reinforces my view that you're saying the people who really make it central, you know, the school leaders or the, the educational leaders who make this a big thing, they're the ones who are invited to these conferences and they're emerging as the leaders. The people who are like, well, that's kind of a maybe issue for some other time or whatever. They're not be emerging as the, well, I mean, they might emerge as leaders in some, in other things. But if you are in an area where environment is not such a big thing, I think that if you make it a big thing, you will emerge, you know, and you do it, not just like yeah. kind of tiptoe around it. Then I think that, I think there's a really good chance that there's a lot of leadership opportunities that people just don't see because they're not connecting I don't know, you know, pick random field. Whoever's listening to this, whatever you're doing, if, if that connection to, lead, to environment isn't there and you make it, I think you stand a chance to, I don't know, end up in D.C. or, you know, whatever. I think you're not going to know what the potential is because I'm experiencing it myself that, you know, I started the idea for this podcast. And next thing I know, it's like I'm oversubscribed with all the people to be on it and so forth. And and I think you're ha- you're having a similar experience. I think a lot of people are doing the opposite. They're like, well, I'll wait till something happens. 
Yeah. And that's, you know, the, I think people recognize strategic thinking and action considering. Yeah. And action. Yeah. And, and, but like smart action, you know, people want to see that their leaders are thinking of the future and are, are prepared to tackle what's next. You just started talking about the future and like about what's coming next and so forth. Okay. So I don't know when this will be released, but right now a bunch of hurricanes just swept through Houston and Florida and Mm -hmm. you were in Katrina and you're figuring out schools there. Are you now a leader yet again, having had that experience before? Are you, is your star rising even farther? I don't want to say star rising because it's like there's big tragedies, but we need to rebuild. How do you fit into what's going on now? And I think everyone agrees that this is the future of we're going to have more and more of situations like this, of natural disasters. I mean, it's so soon after these storms right now, and it's really hard to know exactly like how the assessment and recovery effort is going to go. But I, yeah, I am getting called on to, to share lessons and to try to share best practices. You know, it's really, it's, it's interesting. Like this is, this goes to the topic of leadership again, actually, because the, you know, Katrina happened 15 years ago, almost, and things are so different now. So I'm being asked for lessons learned and I can give those. And, and it's always instructive to hear other other people's experiences and other places experiences. I'm being I'm being asked, like, is there a playbook to follow? Like, can't do we have anything to follow in order to know how to do this right? And the the answer that I have to give is no. The one definition of leadership is building the next steps where no one else has gone. And in most of these cases, you know, the, the place is different. The time is different. The leadership on the national level is different. And many things are going to be very different for these cities. And, and it's going to be very interesting to see which leaders rise um, out of these disasters. Now you make me curious, how much of what you do is, I mean, you did what you did to get where you are. You're working with other people. Are you getting to work with people as much as you wanted to? And are you on the vanguard or do you have lots of peers that are kind of at the same level who also started bringing their experience to develop their backgrounds and then developing the experience to bear? Like, are you, are you on your own or are you in, not just are you working with teams, but are there other people who are pushing the limits? Like, is it safe to say you're pushing limits at, at the forefront? Yeah, I hope that's true. And we, I try to make that true. I would say there are a number of peers that I have in, um, the green schools arena, other leaders of nonprofits who are doing things with schools to try to, you know, change behavior and change the way the policy is made. My background is unique. Many of them have not, none of them have worked in a school system as a, sustainability director in the in the context that I was in in New Orleans and we you know as soon as I concluded the position in New Orleans we started this network of school district staff who do this work and that was in um 2010 which was not that long ago but it was kind of early in the like advent the beginning of these positions in school districts. And so the background that I have in guiding those positions and, and getting school districts to hire these people and coaching them and that sort of thing is unique in, in my field. And that kind of work I do, I do feel like that, that's sort of fulfilling that 
desire that I had to work directly with people. Uh, the work that we do with school district staff and then also with um, teachers and school leaders, the work that we do directly with those guys is really motivating to me. And uh, we get to do a lot of that. Feeling inspired? Do you like hearing others acting that you're not alone? Go to joshuaspodek.com slash podcast to hear other interviews, but even more valuable. Join the growing community of people who care enough to act, not just talk. Read the list of people who have taken on personal challenges and then commit to one yourself. Don't be surprised if you end up loving it, changing more, and finding people following you without you even trying. That's what happens when you improve your life by living by your values. All right, so this personal side of things, is that I'm going to use that to segue, because we were talking about a lot about leadership. Let's talk about the environment, and in particular, why do you care? Like, What does the environment mean to you? What's your passion behind it? Yeah, I think my passion comes from a couple of different places. I mean, the the my childhood was spent with parents who cared about the environment. Like my dad rode me to kindergarten on his bike oh, wow. and we washed plastic bags in the house, you know. <laughs> I'm so glad other people do that. I'd wash yeah. mine. Like, if people <laughs> saw this, would they think I'm weird? I made fun of for it a lot. Uh-huh. But <laughs> well, I'm not um, making fun of you for it. I'm glad that you said it because no. I've been doing it. Yeah. 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 I mean, it, it's like once you start thinking about it and then once you don't have to think about it is really the point. Once you don't have to think about it, it just becomes sort of second nature and it's not a big deal. So I think a lot of what I do related to the environment is kind of like obvious choices to me because of that background. But, you know, the other connection that I don't know if it's made as much as I would like to see it made, but the connection with with health and healthy environments is crucial, I think. And when I was in New Orleans, I talked a little bit earlier about the fact that I saw that connection and I saw very, very clearly when we don't take care of the things that we have built and the things that we are surrounded by natural and built environment, when we don't take care of those, that impacts people directly and their health directly. And so, you know, a lot of the sustainability operations, actions and advocacy we do here relates to this drive to make sure that people are healthy in these places that they're coming to learn. And that really motivates me as well. So I'm hearing that it's it's health, it's kids, it's your father, it's your parents, mm-hmm. that it's about caring for people. These are all to me positive things. I mean, it's your values, but I, I'm reading like this is something that it's the opposite of, of a burden. And also, you said that it's not a big deal, but am I right that it was a big deal before? Like, it's not that you were born thinking it's not a big deal because it sounds like there was a shift at some point. I do remember asking my parents when I was a kid why it mattered, because, you know, as soon as you start learning about the scale of the world, then your individual actions start feeling pretty small and dinky. But my parents did it anyway, and they were really committed to those actions anyway. And they would talk about, you know, the the collective action. You know, you, yes, are one person, but the if everyone did this, or even if the majority of people did this, we would be in a lot better shape um, as communities and, you know, as a planet. So they kind of hung on even through that kind of doubt about 
you know, personal efficacy. And I, that, that stuck with me. And so, you know, I don't remember a time when I didn't do something and then all of a sudden sort of decided to do it. It was more of like a gradual sort of going back and forth and settling on a way of life or a lifestyle. And I think it's, it's like constant choosing, right? Like every day there's like some choice that you make that either sort of conscious or unconscious. And one of our, one of our jobs is to try to make them conscious, like try to make those decisions about your actions conscious. And I struggle with that all the time you know, transportation to work, for instance, <laughs> like, what am I going to, how am I going to get to work today? Cause I try to use public transit and different modes of public transit and, um, things like that. And every day it's kind of like trying to make that choice consciously instead of just like going with whatever's in front of me. That's what I'm and trying so to do with this sure. podcast is I'm trying to get yeah. people to do that. Cause I think you, <laughs> make it you, conscious. Yeah. You're talking about a struggle, but it's like, the struggle that makes you who you are to me, it's like, you know, people who don't want struggle, I don't know what they want, but like the struggle is like, yeah, it doesn't really feel like struggle. It just feels like choosing. And I think it's not a negative thing. Yeah. You choose things all the time, right? You like choose different socks to wear and you choose like what, you know, what you're going to eat that day for lunch. And it's just like, those are conscious choices because you like have to make them or they don't happen. Well, let's give you another opportunity because this podcast is you, you read the description and I'm going to invite you to take on a challenge and maybe make something more conscious. It, it might be harder for you than most people if you've been doing this your whole life, but are you interested in taking on a personal challenge? And let me t- describe. So even now, you know it, but I'm going to say it anyway in case people are listening, anyone who's listening to this for the first time. It's a challenge that it doesn't have to change the world overnight and solve all the problems because a lot of people think, if I, if I don't, if, if it doesn't do everything, I don't do anything. And it's not something I'm going to tell you what to do, but something that you choose by your values. So you're going to be doing something that you want to do. It can be temporary, but I hope when you do it, you think about making it long term, maybe even permanent. So, okay, that's for everyone else. And it sounds like you've thought about this. I have. Yeah. <laughs> I you, knew this was coming. Is it related to public transportation? It is not. Oh, okay. No. Do you want to make another guess? Uh, <laughs> I'd rather hear. Yeah, I want to hear what you have to. <laughs> yeah. What, yeah. Um, I really want to try to eliminate and I'm going to try to do this for a week because I, I I could do it for longer and I hope I can do it for longer, but it's going to be pretty difficult. I want to eliminate um, single use plastics completely. All right. That's a big challenge. I mean, in today's yeah. world, 100 years ago, didn't exist at all. And I think right. we're happy. It's like. The videos of I've seen these videos on National Geographic of people scuba diving in the Great Barrier, not, I don't know, in barrier in reefs. I'm like it's covered in plastic. Covered. And underwater, mm-hmm. like, and so okay, so so for one week to eliminate single-use plastic. So what do you mean by single-use? So I mean anything that I buy, where if I um, consume or open that package, the package would go to the trash and not be used some other way. So I'm not meaning like, um, like a running water bottle, 
you know, like a, like a squeeze bottle or something that I use, you know, many, many, many times. But I do mean like, uh, when I buy lunch, anything that comes in plastic, plastic wrap, like cellophane even. So I'm like imagining all the things I've like already used today. I have a salad that I ate today that's sitting on my table in front of me that is in a plastic bowl that I will be recycling afterwards, but you know, but not reusing just, just. So that's a single use. Right. That's now what it, use. Yeah. I think that one of the things that I'm finding with people is that when they do one thing, when it works out, they start wanting to do other things that I never talked to them about. And they're like, yeah, I think that's what happens when you live by your values and you start moving toward the value when it's in conflict with comfort and convenience and you've been choosing comfort and convenience. It's kind of like, to me, you're kind of like denying, suppressing stuff. And then you make it aware and you're like, okay, there's a struggle. It's hard. Now you're going to go to the store and be like, oh, I'm going to get X. And you're like, oh, Oh, it's plastic. I didn't realize <laughs> not now you're like not for a week. And then maybe at the end of the week, you're like, you know what? I found something different that I like more or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then you're like, this was hard, but actually after a while it got easier. And when you live by your values, value means more good. It's like, it's better. That's what's worked out for me. And then you're like, what else can I do? And one of the big things that's killing me, oh, if you don't mind my going on a bit is people <laughs> keep saying, here's this little thing for you to change. And they say little things add up. Well, maybe little things may add up somewhat. But if I got something that's going to make your life a lot better, and I expect that it's going to improve your life a ton, I'm not going to say do a little bit. I'm going to say do a lot. Right, right. And so to say do this little thing reinforces the belief that it's something people don't really want to do. And that kept me from making these changes for a long time. I don't know what will happen with you, but I suspect that you might find that with like the non-plastic stuff, you're going to find a lot of stuff that you like more than you thought you did or didn't really think about. Hmm. I don't know. That's what happened with me. Yeah, I hope so. Here's what I'm going to bring up. If people start talking about like, what about this? What about that? How about that? Like you can get into logical conversations that will go on forever because it's not like there's this absolutes, a lot of absolutes here, like some absolute that says this is bad for the environment. This is good. for This is the way to do things or whatever. Yeah. And I find people really want to get into conversations like that. Well, what would you do if the plastic was this type of plastic and very recyclable or something like that. And you're like, I don't do it yourself. I mean, to me it's like, I'm trying to do yeah. something. I'm figuring this out. And you're trying to, you want me to figure out everything. I don't know. And when you what? talk about action and you think about what you're doing, it's like, it's much more productive. Yeah. Yeah. It's also though, it's sort of, ah, it's sort of a mindset about the purpose of what you're doing. So like, you know, the, that's a really funny example that you brought up because we're the U.S. Green Building Council and we are, we're, we're a standards setting organization. So, you know, we're like constantly asked to define what good environmental action is, especially, you know, in the building industry. And, you know, we do our best, but like sometimes the evidence isn't quite clear and you just have to kind of do the best thing that you know how to do. I think that's exactly what you were saying. You know, like we're asked like, okay, paper towels or hand dryers, you know, it's like, we're not quite sure. It depends on a lot of things, but, you know, think about it for yourself and like, uh, you know, do the best that you can. And if you don't, if you don't know everything, it doesn't mean that you don't do anything there's always some choice that's slightly better than others when it comes to the environment. So it's kind of uncomfortable to a lot of people if you don't know every answer and 
you know, it, it seems a little bit unsure, but, you know, we all have the ability to like reason through our choices and, and just choose one that's, you know, that we think is a little better. That's such a liberating perspective that the nerdy me of most of my life was like, no, we got to figure out everything. And, <laughs> and before I did my experiments, I was like, how do I plan this out? How to make my week perfect? And, and then it was like, just doing it was much, it got me, that taught me so much more than planning. Huh. That's really interesting. Yeah. I'm looking forward to what comes next because for you, it's our next conversation, because I think that your experience is, is what you're doing is, is similar to what I did. And I haven't gotten to talk to someone who's done something like that before. I've talked to people who have tried to do it and haven't made it yet. Not exactly mm. what you're doing, but something different. And so I'm really curious to, I, I'm looking forward to that conversation. Yeah, me too. Let's do this. <laughs> I'm ready. <laughs> okay, cool. And I'm, I'm really looking forward to sometime when you, when you go through New York City and I'll, I'll show you like how I make my food and stuff. Good food. That's right. Looking forward to that too. Okay, cool. So I will talk to you again in, I guess it'll be two weeks from today. And uh, yeah. okay. enjoy the challenge. Thank you. Thanks. I'll talk to you soon. Talk to you then. Bye. Bye. I like a lot when someone uses the opportunity of this podcast to go beyond just the challenge that they take on for themselves, but to think of what change is this going to bring and what's the next step in the next step, as opposed to the more common perception that I see a lot of is this won't do everything. And if we don't solve everything, then it's as if we've done nothing. And so I'm not going to do anything. This is why I take leadership as the most important issue environmentally is because changing our behavior, we have all these internal blocks. Anissa goes right past that. She says, if you don't know everything, that doesn't mean that you shouldn't do anything, at least for herself. I predict that her actions will yield answers to those questions greater than just sitting there and analyzing and I would call navel gazing. I kind of put it down because that's what I did for so long. And I found, I believe that Anissa will find that doing things leads you to more results and more answers than just thinking does. So I guess that means we'll have to wait until next time, but let's keep that in mind for the next conversation with Anissa. Did you feel inspired too? Then act. Go to joshuaspodak.com slash podcast and click to commit to your personal challenge so you can inspire others. Value means better and worse, and living by your values means living better by your values. You may struggle at first, but it's the hero's journey from living by others' values to living by yours. People say that little things add up. I won't argue against it, but what I find counts is acting. Doing something, anything, starts that mindset shift from the debilitating others should act first or making excuses to the empowering I can make a difference and living by my values improves my life. I don't have to wait for others to act first. I'm looking for leaders, people who will bring what works here in this podcast to communities I haven't reached. Billions of people want to change their behavior. There's room for leadership from personal leadership of just yourself to whatever scale you want. Start by acting and changing yourself. Go to joshuaspodak.com slash podcast and commit to your personal challenge.